Good morning, church family, my dear Seven Oaks Church family. I hope you're doing well. We're continuing in our series on whispers of Christmas. And I've picked two. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go double time on you. But I, there are two that seem to fit together. And uh, it occurred to me again when I visited some people this past week that we're from the outside of our own little faith community here at Seven Oaks, that Christmas isn't really a fun time for everybody. A friend of a friend asked me to visit someone, Erin which is not a real name. She told me of the pain of broken relationships and the pain of not seeing the ones you love at Christmas time and the pain of being alone. I consider it a ministry to hear stories like that and to listen carefully to them. There's a pain because of the loss and an accompanying desire for reconnection. There's a a longing for that two-way flow of love and concern. And it was obvious through her story that she both longed for connection with family and longed to give of herself to that family. And you know, there's an inexorable draw of wanting to be in a family. Do you sense that? <laughs> so I invited RNA to some of our happenings this season, and I hope she comes. I was also asked this past week to go to ARH and pray for two families who were saying goodbye to loved ones in ICU. They were literally having to pull the plug on their moms. And uh, the social worker at ARH had called me from time to time to do this for families, and I wanted to decline. I just, I felt overwhelmed this past week with responsibilities here at the church. I felt like I was burning my candle at both ends and in the middle, and I just wanted to say no. But you know, compassion overrode wisdom, and uh, I went to the hospital. I was able to find time at the end of my day to go see these two people who were plugged in with all kinds of life support systems and their, their sorrowing families around them. But you know, I can't just put into words all that transpired in those two ICU units, but I know what happened there. There was hope that came into the lives of those who were there saying goodbye to their, their moms. And there was, the one mom was coherent and could say something to her kids. She had trouble speaking. She was so wired up. But I asked her, are you a woman of faith? And she nodded her head. She gave a gurgly yes. And is that something you want to pass on to these kids here? Three of the siblings were there. There was another one coming on a flight that night. And she says, an emphatic nod. And I looked at the kids and I, this is what she wants to pass on to you before she goes. And in the other room, the lady was incoherent, couldn't talk, hadn't been able to for three weeks. But we prayed. First of all, we cried, because that's all we could do. We just cried, because of the hope, seemingly hopelessness of the situation. But this was a family of faith. They were saying goodbye. They knew where she was going. Her bodily, her bodily functions were, had pretty well gone, but they realized the spiritual dynamic in that room was such that 
this lady was becoming more and more conscious of the presence of God by his spirit in that room than we were able to even calculate. And we all took hope from that. But what I, I saw hope grow in that room. Those families, they needed comfort. They needed to be together. They needed a pastor, a brother, a friend to help them realize God was in the room. And I was able to be there. I realized that up to this point, church family, that uh, this series we've been looking at, Whispers of Christmas, that have predated the advent of, and the, or the coming of our Lord Jesus. And those whispers have been prophetic, really, in describing the coming kingdom of God in the incarnation of Jesus. But today, I'd like us to look at two whispers that are not a pre-telling kind, but they're more like a retelling kind. They restate the amazing intent and significance of the advent, the coming of Jesus. Instead of a prophetic foretelling, they are repeating the practical outcomes of the coming of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus. Today's whispers from the scriptures, they share about becoming part of God's family through faith and adoption. When there were angelic announcements in the other gospels, I believe these quieter statements saw far into the future where believers in Jesus would be formed into caring communities that would continue sharing the gospel heralded by the angels. My thesis is this. The advent of Jesus Christ provides two ways for us to become part of God's family. Through adoption, which is God's initiative, and through belief and reception of the Christ, our initiative, but still aided by the Holy Spirit. In religion, unfortunately, some people will come along and say, well, to be really part of God's family, you have to either be Jewish or act Jewish or jump through a bunch of other uh, hoops, religious hoops. Or you may have to obey all the Old Testament laws for you to be okay. And Paul, who is, the, uh, who is to me, he's the apostle of the heart set free. He's the one who speaks of this kind of freedom in, when he wrote the Galatian churches. And I'd like us to look at Galatians 4, 4 to 5. This is what he says. And this really is Paul's Christmas story right here. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to, son, to sonship. Now, what does the expression mean, when the fullness of time was come, God sent his son? Well, that expression, fullness of time, means the time was ripe. And when the time was perfect, God sent his son to be the savior of the world. And through history, God has been whispering, promising, and suggesting that he would send a savior. In the first sermon of this series, Pastor Jamie recounted in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned and fell away from God, they experienced a sense of alienation between themselves and God, and between each other, and with their own hearts. And God promised that he would send a Savior for them and for all humanity. The company of the redeemed can say, Abba, Father. They no longer feel like slaves to sin and cut off from God. Paul put it like this. In, the, in, the, in Galatians 4 and 5, 
that we might receive adoption as sons and be able to call God the Father, Abba, Daddy, an intimate term. In other words, the redemption or the ransom frees us to be part of God's family. That's how we got in. (laughs) That was our ticket. That was the grace that brought us into this family. We had run away and sold ourselves into slavery, but God paid a ransom, and he redeemed us out of slavery into the Father's house. You know, and to do that, God... God's son had to become a human being so that he could suffer and die in our place and pay that ransom. That's the meaning of Christmas. The son of God became man to enable people to become sons of God. You know, Paul was a highly trained scholar. He, was, uh, he knew the law. In fact, he could probably quote the Pentateuch. And after his dramatic encounter with the risen Jesus on the Damascus road, and then two years in Damascus, meditating on that encounter, he wrote Galatians. He wrote these words about us being adopted into God's family. He was marveling at the grace that brought him into God's family and the impotence of the law to save him. He was celebrating that our relationship with God was no longer mediated by the law, but by the works of Jesus, what Jesus did on our behalf. Now, I didn't modify generically the language to be inclusive of each gender because I believe sonship in Jewish culture was very focused on the eldest son. The oldest son was the heir and destined to inherit any wealth that the father had. This applies now to everybody who's called on the name of Jesus, to be saved. The verses in Galatians 4 are all about this inheritance of spiritual blessing, and this inheritance includes these things. It includes intimacy in a faith relationship with the Son of God. He is our Abba, our Daddy. And through the work of the Son Jesus on the cross, we can tell for sure that we are now fully adopted as his kids because God sent the spirit of his son, into our lives, crying, Abba, Daddy. And the second blessing we have is this, that we are a son of God. And that's one who relates to God with both love and respect. Communication through prayer deepens that intimacy. And we also develop this intimacy with God by reading his word, believing it, obeying it, and sharing it. But mostly... We become intimate with God by trusting in him and learning that through trust that he is loving and good. His desire is that we desire him. And in that desire, he's delighted. And we eventually become delighted in his delight. (laughs) I had to think about that as I was writing it. (laughs) We get delighted with God's delight in us. This type of intimacy is what it means to be a son of his. Also, we are being free from the curse of the law. To be a son of God means that we both, Jews and Gentiles, have been set free from the curse of the law and that we have moved from the B.C. era into the Anno Domini era. Fourthly, it means being led by God's Spirit. What prompts our actions? What stirs our emotions? What guides our behavior? 
And what determines our careers is God's spirit. There's a balance here in this. There's part of us choosing, and there's part of God choosing us. There's a part where God puts adopter and adoptees together. There's a grace shown by the adopter to the adoptee. And there's even a choice by the adoptee to accept the love of adoptive parents. I have a daughter in Saskatchewan, and uh, she recently went through an adoption process to, adopt, to have a little girl in their household. And, uh, you know, that little one, when I see them together, I see her, her marveling at this new environment of love and grace. I know a bit of that little girl's background. It wasn't pleasant. In fact, it was awful in a lot of ways. And to see her at first be tentative about this, this beautiful atmosphere in the family she's, she's been adopted into, and it just makes me, makes me think of how we revel in the newfound privileges and freedom and joy and security and comfort and health and, and acceptance and all these positive things about a family environment and the family of God. I see parallels there. There's great peace that comes when you realize you're, you're in by faith and the grace of somebody other than yourself. <laughs> she has a fabulous inheritance because of her being brought into that family. Let's take a look at this second whisper. It's in John chapter 1. And this is John's Christmas story. You know, I love the Gospel of John. You know, my mom actually named me John. And uh, I was born in the Kennedy era, so everybody got to calling me Jack. But you know, I, I like to think back of my, what the significance of my name is. And I like to put myself in the place of John, the apostle of Jesus, following him, writing down things. You know, he, John self-described... In the, latter, in the Last Supper of leaning on Jesus' uh, breast, his chest, and listening to his heartbeat. And I wonder what he heard when he heard Jesus' heartbeat. <laughs> he heard passion for a lost world. I think that influenced every sentence in his gospel. He heard the passion of Christ. And this is John's Christmas story. John chapter 1. Verses 11 to 14. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In choosing language to describe the coming of Jesus into the world, the gospel writer John uses this language, incorporating the creation story and the eternal creative aspects of the Logos, eventually culminating in those famous words, the word became flesh, and he pitched his tent in our neighborhood, and we beheld his glory, 
which was full of grace and truth. I'd like us to take a look at what grace is. Jesus emphasized grace. What is it? It's the bottomless, unconditional, no matter what you do, I do for you, grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's unearnable. You can't get it through religious practices. Grace is God's one-way love. Grace is the melody the New Testament returns to over and over again. And by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not the result of good deeds you do, so there's no boasting about what we've earned. No matter what we try to do to turn Jesus into something like the almighty auditor from the Department of Afterlife Affairs, we could miss grace that is in this gift of him giving himself to us. As previously mentioned in the sermons in the past few weeks, there are intimations of the first advent all throughout the Bible. And... uh, When I contrast that to the Christmas narratives of the first two Gospels, for example, or Matthew and Luke at least, with the emphasis on angels and miracles and heralds announcing the coming, and even John the Baptist and Jesus being aware of each other in their respective wombs, these whispers from John and from Paul speak of grace and inclusion in a family. The Advent is something we've been waiting for, and we long for it. In fact, the anticipation of Christmas Day is better than the actual arrival for most kids, and I put myself in that category too. When it finally gets here, I think, oh, I wish I could relive the past week again. I was a little more hopeful and anticipatory then. I just want to conclude that the good news of the gospel is that God gave Jesus as a gift to pay for what we could not pay through religious striving. It's the cost of what it took to save our lives to the full here and now and give us hope of eternity with the one who loves us at great cost to himself. John Piper, one of my mentors through his books has said this the deepest and strongest foundation of adoption is located not in the act of humans adopting humans but in God adopting us and this act is not part of his ordinary providence in the world it is at the heart of the good news and that's what Galatians is all about a central gospel statement as there can be is that verse in Galatians 4 4 When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God did not have to use the concept of adoption to explain how he saved us or even how we became part of his family. He could have stayed with the language of the new birth so that all his kids were described as children by nature. Only John 1 one twelve to 13 says what it did. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Hallelujah. I want to close 
by urging you to believe in Jesus and receive that gift. I know some in our online audience and some here in this room, you may not have made your heart Christ's home yet. Jesus beckons you by his spirit to do that today. Make room and you're in for him. The birth of God's Son gives us sonship with all its rights and privileges. The gift of the incarnation and the spirit of Christ given us with sonship, grace, and truth are the great gifts received and the even greater gifts shared. Let's receive those gifts. Let's take them to heart. Let's share them with others. You'll likely know someone like people I mentioned at the beginning of my, my, my message, like Irene. What drew me to Seven Oaks time and time again was the invitational and inclusive culture of this body of believers. One time when we came back from Africa, we were broken. We were feeling like failures. We were hurting. And this church loved us back to emotional health. This church showed us grace. They were like many incarnations of Jesus running around, <laughs> helping us in our distress. The power of grace and truth was incarnated, and it drew people into community. It drew us back into this community. It drew us into a group that where gifts get shared and they discover each, each other and value each other. That kind of grace that was shown to us when we came back helped heal our wounds and helped give us hope again. You know, I can't say that everybody that comes through these doors is going to get the same kind of reaction, but you know what? We're leaning to want to be like that to anybody who comes through our doors. We want to be invitational, inclusive, incarnational. How do you like that for alliteration? <laughs> Some homileticians here are saying amen. <laughs> and you know, the only way that we can do that is if we're filled with the spirit of Jesus and he breathes on us his spirit in such a way that we look like him. And I know... There's a lot of us here in this audience that are probably broken and hurting in some way. And unless we get an incarnation of Jesus, we'll, we'll remain in that brokenness and that hurt. We were ministered to in a powerful way. In fact, they even gave me a job right away here at the church. They were very practical in their ministry too. <laughs> I'm just sympathetic. It was a beautiful reunion, and it was only possible through that incarnational uh, response by the people of Seven Oaks. I believe God is renewing this invitational culture among us to help heal the broken, to include the forsaken, to deliver the bound, and to present Jesus in such a way that he is attractive to everybody. Suffice it to say that when we got home from Africa and we're all wounded and hurting and broken, each one of us in our family felt the embrace of God through the grace and the truth of this family of God here at Seven Oaks.
In our brokenness, we were wrapped up by the embrace of God. So I challenge you to be incarnations of that grace and truth. And we need the Spirit to do that. And as I pray for his filling, uh, the, the, uh, the group will come forward and lead us in one more song. But I want us to stay behind. I, don't want you to, I want you to linger here a bit. I want you to respond to this challenge to be inclusive, invitational, and incarnational. And, you know, confess your foibles. <laughs> Get a brother or sister. See, this is where I'm messing up. I leak the Holy Spirit. I get full of the Holy Spirit, it leaks out. He leaks out. I need refilling. (laughs) Stay, let's ask God for his filling. And let's not leave until we get it so that we look more like our Savior. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we need to look like Jesus, Lord. Help us. So that people like Irene, broken and hurt, disconnected, when they come, when they come enjoy enjoy our fellowship, they'll sense that you are wrapping them in their arm in your arms they will sense that the people here are miniature incarnations of Jesus they'll experience forgiveness and lord we we confess our faults to you <laughs> we can't always do this sometimes we're so selfish we miss totally somebody else's need So, Lord, tune us in. (laughs) Give us the same wavelength that you're on so that when there are hurting people, and there's there's probably a lot among us, (laughs) tune us in so that we recognize that and we bring your resources to bear on that need no matter how deep and crippling it could be. Your grace is greater. Your truth is more powerful to restore, to lift up, to redeem And so fill us with your spirit that we look like Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.